Welcome to B2B Marketers on a Mission, a podcast for change makers where we question the conventional, debunk marketing myths, provide actionable tips, think differently, disrupt industries, and take your marketing to a new level. From improving your campaigns to making you a better marketer, these are the inspirational stories that will help us change the way we think and approach B2B marketing one conversation at a time. This podcast is brought to you by I'm Blake Consulting, helping you to stand out in the market and drive revenue to your B2B business. And now your host, Christian Klepp. Okay, everyone. Welcome to this episode of B2B Marketers on the Mission. This is the show where we help you to question the conventional, think differently, disrupt your industry, and take your marketing to new heights. So this is your host, Christian Klepp, and today I am joined by someone on a mission to combine digital marketing and data science to deliver better B2B marketing results. So Michelle Bassett, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Great to be connected, Michelle, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I know that introduction sounded like a bit of a mouthful, but it's highly relevant, it's very useful, and I have no doubt that you are going to knock this conversation out of the park. I will give it my best to give it Okay. (laughs) Michelle, I mean, this is short of stating the obvious, but your professional background is incredible. So you have this unique blend of expertise, and let me see if I can get this right, behavioral science data analytics, and internet marketing. So for this conversation, let's focus on a topic that I believe has become part of your professional mission, and that is the value of combining behavioral analysis and data analytics for better B2B digital marketing results. So if we were going to kick off this conversation with a question, let it be this. Why is an understanding of these different disciplines important for B2B digital marketing? Well, for B2B digital marketing, it's important to have this combination or at least to be aware of this combination because it happens organically. People are behaving and users are using. And so there are data points that come from that. And part of my behavior analysis background, most people associate it with um, ABA therapy or uh, treating kids with autism or even business um, organization as far as the whole um, organizational behavior management companies who come in and restructure companies based on, um, you know, different personalities and job functions and, and things like that. But when it comes to marketing and B2B marketing specifically, having that that junction of, of understanding of things that are happening anyway, just is gonna it's just gonna make your marketing campaigns that much stronger. Fantastic, fantastic. And uh, we will get into the nitty-gritty aspects of that later on in the conversation. But that was such a great segue into the next question. Mm-hmm. And I have no doubt. You will have no problem answering this question because I've probably uh, you've probably seen it all. <laughs> Mistakes and misconceptions. So when mm-hmm. we're talking about combining these different disciplines, what are some of these things that you've seen out there that mistakes that marketers make and how should they address them? Well, there are a few. Um, again, I've, I've worked many, many disciplines and many, many different companies. The main one is what I what I'm calling data nets, right? So if you think about fishing and you make your net or you cast your net, there, there's data nets. So if you are a company that uses Google Analytics, 
per se. Nine times out of 10, you probably either should be using Google Tag Manager or some sort of um, platform tag management software that collects that information. So whether it's a Facebook pixel manager or ad role for your retargeting efforts or what have you, there is a data net, something that's capturing front end data and sending it to um, the back end so that you can analyze those numbers. So just not setting those at all. (laughs) I've seen a lot of companies who were pretty successful, pretty profitable, a lot of them had either no DNA team <laughs> or what DNA is a data data and, and, and analysis team, uh, which is more an engineer, an analyst position, or they just, I guess, forgot to set the data nets. I don't know what happened. And the marketers are left um, jumping from platform to platform and trying to figure out, okay, did this person click on this button or did this person click on that button? And they never really know if their marketing campaigns as as a whole was successful down to the user journey. It's always these high level, you go on YouTube, you see, okay, I had this many impressions and, and this many conversions. But even your conversions are a little bit off because the pixel was never set properly. <laughs> and you don't actually understand what those particular impressions and those visits actually mean in the grand scheme of things because you don't have the whole whole picture of what your organic traffic even looks like to even compare your actual marketing, your paid marketing efforts rather. And so that's one of the biggest ones. Another one is just generally just being overwhelmed by the idea that I, today I have to look at numbers. (laughs) And so a lot of times marketers are put in this creative box and yes, marketing is creative and it's fun and you get to make all this content and all these visuals and you get to play inside of Illustrator and, 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 and all these lovely artsy crafty areas. But for validation purposes, you really want to make sure that the numbers and your creativity go hand in hand. So it was not setting those data nets at all and just being afraid, essentially, of numbers. And I, I feel like that that's where a lot of people fall short. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. I did have one follow-up question mm-hmm. for you, and uh, I'm pretty sure you can answer it. Not everybody is going to be a trained science, a data scientist going into this. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I believe that was also part of, part of your point. And there is definitely the, um, the, the factor of becoming overwhelmed with all the, the data and the attributes and the numbers mm-hmm. to look at. So let's just assume, because there are listeners out there that are most likely facing uh, these situations, right, going into mm-hmm. this. What is the best way for them to tackle these this type of problem, like the ones that you've just mentioned, without necessarily having to be the, da- the data scientist mm-hmm. type. So let's look at this from a, maybe like a more top view perspective, if we if we can. Okay. Uh, so to kind of combat that, right? Mm-hmm. So no one besides me and like six other people in the world are internet marketers and data scientists, right? <laughs> so so let's clear clear that air. You do not in any way, shape, or form have to be a data scientist. At the end of the day, most most of your of your platforms are going to come with some sort of an- analytics. As far as dipping your your toe in the water, kind of just starting to, to to look at numbers, I would say find the metric that is most impactful for you and start there. And so we call them KPIs or, or, or key performance indicators. So find your one, your main one 
not not impressions, not necessarily anything that's out of your control, but the main thing that you that 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 your job is paid off of, find that one thing for you and learn everything about that one number and then improve that one number either by saying, hey, I need more data around how many people went from this page to this page to this page, or or I need more data around this particular marketing channel. And then really, really, really hone in on that number. When, when, once you perfect that number, and for those of you who report to C- CMOs or CTOs or whatever, and you can tie that number to bottom line revenue um, and profit, then you'll get more and more comfortable because you'll 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 eventually be rewarded for for, for your efforts. And again, it, it's just one one number. Start with one. Start with that one thing. <laughs> the one thing. Yep, one thing. Fantastic, fantastic, Michelle. In your experience, what types of core problems? And give us maybe three to five, right? Uh, what types of core problems do behavioral analysis and data analytics solve for B2B marketers? Well, the, the biggest problem, and I necessarily wouldn't call it a problem, I would say it, it's a road to discovery, but then I'm being all romantic and, and, and marketer e at that point, right? But there's a lot of power in customer journey mapping. It was, it, it, there's no big buzzwords around it right now, but I would say maybe like 2016, 2017, there was a lot of big name, big brand push to know exactly what a user was doing on your website, on your app, and how did, because again, 2017, and then how, how, how did it get from the internet to your store? I worked with a, a large company and a large a large restaurant company in, in America, and um, they sold chicken, by the way, and and they uh, and they were really 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 concerned about their marketing campaigns, uh, specifically on Facebook, and how many people got from the marketing campaign to the store. And so we, we we literally drilled down and then the whole behavior and analysis part of that or, or, or the behavior modification part of that is that I know the levers to pull and the things to tweak or, or conversion rate optimization, current buzzword, to, to, to make those people get into the store without necessarily saying, okay, here's a free coupon for this or that or the third, but be able to track those users from online behavior to offline behavior without being creepy about it because you can get real creepy real fast <laughs> but 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 that is the main one uh so conversion rate op- optimization and journey customer journey mapping essentially having those data points that we make every day and being able to look at it from a higher perspective without getting into people's personal lives and now you know it's it's a whole it's a whole invasion of privacy <laughs> and just, just just being able to to tweak people in a very ethical sound way but to but to ultimately increase profits absolutely absolutely and i'm glad you brought that up about um you know the sensitivity around the uh, data or mm-hmm. uh, privacy mm-hmm. information and what have you because i get I, I suppose in the united states it depends on which state you're talking about but also, for example, over in the EU, you've got the GDPR. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of like sensitivity around using mm-hmm. um, 
uh, people's uh, you know personal information yes. and, 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 and those details, right? Hey, it's Christian Klepp here. We'll get back to the episode in a second. But first, is your brand struggling to cut through the noise? Are you trying to find more effective ways to reach your target audience and boost sales? Are you trying to pivot your business? If so, book a call with Einblick Consulting. Our experienced consultants will work with you to help your B2B business to succeed and scale. Go to www.einblick.co for more information. Okay, so we're moving on from that topic to another one, which you, you've talked about it a bit in the past couple of minutes, but again, behavioral, behavioral analysis and data analytics, they're both topics that can generally be, except for you and, and the five <laughs> other people, it can be pretty overwhelming. Yes. And we did talk about like, okay, you mentioned focus on that one particular metric and uh, concentrate some efforts on around that attribute, that particular metric yeah. or attribute. But if the B2B marketers, the folks that are listening to this show and this conversation, if they mm -hmm. are following these steps, they're sifting through all this data and they're trying to consolidate it to be presented to, let's say, members of senior management, the board mm -hmm. of directors. You've been there many times, I'm sure, right? Yes. They yes. do not want you to present them with a novel, right? Absolutely not. They want you to have a presentation that is as succinct and straight to the point as possible mm -hmm. and will tell them what they need to know and will also hopefully get you the approval and validation that you need from them. Mm -hmm. So here comes the question, excuse me for the, uh, for the really long setup, but how can B2B marketers sift through all that data and information and present them in a way that is A, digestible, uh -huh. and B, which I know you've done, gets budgets approved? Yes. Okay. Here's what I tell everybody, and most people don't believe me at first. So nine times out of 10, no matter where you are, you are typically interacting with either your marketing director, your uh, chief marketing officer, and then the chief technology officer sometimes, and then some guy in finance. There's always some guy in finance is lurking around a corner somewhere, right? And so when, when I make presentations and when I have this wall of data in front of me, I have to talk to my higher up, so typically a director in marketing or above. So they want to know the types of campaign and ultimately your, your, your thought process as far as beginning, middle, and end. So impression, this happened, and here's how they convert it. When it comes to the finance guy, right, he, he, he doesn't care about any of that. He's like, look, how much money did you spend? How much money did you make? That's it. The only thing he cares about. He doesn't care about the agency you worked with. He doesn't care about this. He doesn't care about anything. So what I do is I have this executive summary slide. It, it is the first slide. It might be two slides, depending on the length of data and length of time. Also, any quarterly reporting or, or, like, or like anything like that, everything is clear cut on this one slide in text format, might be one or two charts. I know people have mixed feelings about pie charts, but it might be one or two charts and one might be a pie chart. I don't know, might feel spicy that day, don't know. <laughs> so on and that one executive summary, uh, giving the beginning, middle and end, then I'm saying, okay, here's, here's how much money we spent. Here's how much money it, it, it produced. We can literally end the presentation there. But when I do presentations, 
I have this thing called prove it. So at any time, even including this conversation, at any time, whenever I'm talking to anybody, they have the right to, and it gets annoying initially, they have the right to, at any point in time, mid-sentence, say prove it. And then I go to that particular slide because it might be 10, 15 slides. But again, I'm only presenting one or two slides. But if the CMO has a question about, hey, how many uh, different variations in this A-B split test did you do? And, and essentially says, prove it. I already have it pointed out. I already have a slide just, just on that. But again, there, there is an executive summary, very wordy, not very appealing to the eye, but it's very wordy. wordy might have one or two, again, visualizations. And then as soon as they say prove it, then I go to a subsequent slide with with that data, not a wall of text. It, it, it is very visualized, very easy to understand. C CMOs that they love, they love, um, they love bar graphs. Don't know why, but they really into bar graphs. Okay, so bar graphs for the higher ups, and again on occasion, CFO or or finance guy around the corner, he likes pie charts. <laughs> so, so this this was the uh, profit for this. The, the, this is what I believe the long term investment for this is. Here how here how here how it affects the customer lifetime value, and so forth and so on. But that is on the prove it slide, not on the executive summary slide. So hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. I mean, when we used to prepare presentations like that, we used to call that the appendix section or the extra ammunition section. Mm -hmm. So. The, the executive summary and those uh, probably the the three slides that you are presenting mm -hmm. these very senior people undoubtedly you will you will focus on those and there were always links in each of those slides in case they did say prove yes. it or they had more questions then it redirects them it redirects you to to the detailed mm -hmm. section right and kind of one more point on on that right oh. the more detailed you make the presentation mm. Again, it's not for those higher ups. It is not for budget approvals. Right. But the more detailed you you make that that um, presentation, you can always go back to it next campaign and say this worked or that didn't work, yeah. and then carry on that logic from there. But if you don't make that initial draft and you don't have that initial information on there, it's very very hard to for the next campaign say, okay, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, because then you have to start from scratch. But if you don't have to start from scratch, it makes budget approvals way easier. It, and then it also builds a, a, a history of your work and your effort and your value so that come bonus time or whatever time you celebrate in your personal life, um, you know, it, it's kind of all there already. Absolutely, absolutely. And if I understood what you've been explaining in the past couple of minutes correctly, you also have to keep in mind marketing 101 who's your target not not who's your target audience but who's your audience who is this being mm -hmm. presented to exactly right what are their roles and responsibilities uh in this case because it's internal within the organization what the roles are what do they care about mm -hmm. and more often than not what will make a light bulb go uh, on in their head yep. in a good way yep. <laughs> not, not in a bad way so clearly the chief marketing officer will look at different factors uh, if compared to like, say, the finance person, mm -hmm. example, yep. right? 
Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay, Michelle, we get to the point in the conversation where we're talking about actionable tips. And I know you've given some already. Yes. But let's just imagine if somebody were listening to this conversation mm -hmm. and they were faced with this dilemma that we have uh, so vividly painted here. <laughs> and they were going to walk away from this and take action on it. What are like maybe three to five things that you could tell them to do right now that they can act upon? Okay. So three to five things that you can act on right now. Uh, one, <laughs> one would be picking that one thing. So we, we, we already talked about that. Two would be not being afraid to mess up. Uh, I, we, we don't, we don't talk about that as much, especially from like a corporate point of view, but when you're in a creative spot and you might have, you know, a $25,000 budget for, for, for this campaign, a lot of times we don't take those shots, especially early on in our career, because we, we don't want to look bad. And when you don't want to look back, you, you typically don't ask questions. And my biggest thing as a digital marketer slash data scientist is you have to ask questions. Even if you're asking yourself these questions, because sometimes I need expert advice and I have to talk to myself, but you have to ask the right questions to get to the right place. And so sometimes you don't have enough data to move forward with your marketing campaign. So you have to miss. It, it's fine. It's, it's fine if you mess up. Now, I don't know if the CFO thinks it's fine, but spend a little bit of, of your budget. Maybe it's 5%, maybe it's 10%, depending on how big your, your budget and your market is to just mess up. Throw the spaghetti on the wall and kind of see what sticks with math mathematically see what sticks and then and then improve from there a lot of marketing especially product and we didn't talk a lot about product design and product pushes and, and and things like that but when it comes to a SaaS product specifically treating treating your, your marketing campaigns the same way your engineers and developers treat the software there are a lot of iterations involved and you have to treat your marketing campaigns similarly and so that was don't don't be afraid to mess up don't be afraid just do it see what happens it's only money <laughs> right it's not my money but it's only money right and then also the last one that i'm just going to throw out here if a marketing channel suddenly stops working that is okay as well it may have worked in january like facebook may have been really 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 good for you uh, YouTube may have been really, really, really good for you, and now it's not. Or maybe the uh, CPA or cost per acquisition is no longer what it used to be, and that is okay. Everything costs more now because of supposedly inflation, but I have my views on that. So it's like you, you really have to find what works for you, and that goes back to not being scared. You might have to try a brand new marketing uh, platform instead of you know Instagram ads. You might have to do native or display ads on Bing, right? <laughs> so don't be afraid. Uh, so 
it was all about not being afraid. <laughs> it was a pick. So pick your one thing. Don't be afraid to try different things and new things. And don't be afraid to uh, change marketing channels. So don't be afraid. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Have courage. Don't yes. be afraid. Pick up that sword. Right. Yes. <laughs> and um, yeah, on the topic of inflation, I would say that that's probably a topic for another podcast that is more politically inclined yes. or more yeah. economic right yes. So, yes. <laughs> no um thanks for sharing those and that's a great segue into the next question and i know you've spoken about metrics a little bit and you did say pick that one thing so uh -huh. i'm gonna throw that right back at you and say well just from your experience what exactly is that one thing or i i suppose it depends on the organization um the vertical uh -huh. uh, what they want to measure what uh -huh. type of campaign they're running that 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 stage in which the campaign is at yeah. but like over to you what what type of metrics should b2b marketers be paying attention to okay um this is gonna sound controversial hear me out Go. and so this is me coming from a point of view of i've done big for profit uh medium for profit small for profit and I've also done nonprofit. So really what it comes down to, this kind of goes back to the previous point that we were talking about with changing your uh, marketing platforms and, and um, distribution networks. Okay, so the main metric, <laughs> the main metric is gonna be market saturation. So a lot of times out of the box, your platform might not have uh, a market saturation tool. I know Facebook does, uh, but if you dig a little bit deeper and you can actually request, I know Outbrain does it. If you request like additional numbers, they'll tell you same, same thing for, for HubSpot. HubSpot actually has a lot of data that I'm like, how did you guys get this information? Wait, I don't want to know. So, <laughs> so, so, it market and audience saturation can be your best friend because eventually you'll have a plateau it's called the point of diminishing returns that's typically what people call it where they've been doing good they've been doing good they've been going up they've been going up now all of a sudden they've kind of teetered not not even teeter off but like no matter how much money they spend no matter how much content they make no matter what happens they never really grow. They might kind of bip up here and there, but they never really skyrocket the way that they, you know, probably promised nine times out of 10. And that's because the, the area is saturated, especially for local, like, like actual brick and mortar companies. A lot of times outside of that five mile radius, you're not going to get a lot of traffic coming in. If you're a dentist office, which I don't know if there's a lot of dentists listening to this, but that's the only thing that, that I could think of. Right now. Uh, you, you're only going to have that three, maybe five mile radius. And that's just for general dentistry. Now, if you're some kind of special doctor who does special doctor stuff, <laughs> then, then, you know, it, it might be a little bit bigger, but when it comes to like, um, any sort of uh, major enterprise things where, where, where there was a location barrier and ge geofencing involved. There, there's only so many people who, who live in that area. <laughs> yeah. So if, if, if they haven't acted on, you know, 
uh, engagement point 11, engagement point 15, they, they might not do it at all. And so you have to take that into consideration, especially when you're looking at your individual platforms as well. Well, how much audience and market saturation can I really get? And again, people find that controversial. So. <laughs> Open to interpretation, I suppose. Yes. But like, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that was a really good point. And, um, you know, thanks for sharing your insights yeah. on that. All right, Michelle, I kind of feel like you've been on your soapbox all this time, but just stay up there a little bit longer. All right. I like, um, <laughs> a status quo in your areas, plural, of expertise <laughs> that you passionately disagree with and why. And please only pick one. So the main status quo thing that I feel is a little bit overrated is a social media presence. Now, for a large corporation who has BDB and they sell, um, you know, toilet paper inside of commercial buildings, a social media presence may not be needed. Now, if you scale that down to someone like me who is doing a podcast now, you know, it, it, it may it may be more inclined for me to have one. But really, I have the socials. I'm not really on the socials. And so I honestly, honestly, honestly don't believe that the amount of content creation, content management and content preparation that it takes to go viral because everyone wants to go viral and they're never prepared to go viral. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Everybody wants to go viral. Um, that that's not needed to have a good, sound, financially stable business as a whole, but but marketing campaign. Now, if your goal as a marketer is to go viral, then you have to have certain things in place to capture that viralness right and so if you're trying just to accidentally go viral don't do it it's just, it's just gonna be a waste and then you're gonna get bad pr it's, it's just just gonna go bad for no reason but i really think that posting three times a day on five different social media uh platforms and doing tiktok dances for every single business <laughs> for as far as a status quo for a marketer is is not necessary it's just not necessary um and you know tiktok has taken everything by storm and the cost per per, per acquisition well, the cost per impression is super duper low and everybody's jumping on the bandwagon and there are a lot of businesses who can thrive from TikTok fame and viral videos going out, but if you are, or if you are a, a Procter and Gamble and you are supplying paper to, you know, businesses all over the world, or your Xerox or whatever, you sell big industrial printers. I don't see it. <laughs> I just don't see tiktok dances on top of the printer like i i, I don't get it i don't get it and, it, and i i don't think that the money is well spent in that area i think customer outreach customer engagement maybe even giftology if we take it offline um and and start to track on some of those behavioral things uh would, would actually be more beneficial than paying some influencer to dance on top of one of your printers i don't i don't know <laughs> 
Absolutely. No, no, I 100% agree with that. And, you know, I've had this conversation with a couple of guests on the show. And, okay. Um, I, I had a discussion with another, uh, with, uh, with a gentleman a couple of weeks ago um, on the topic of developing case studies for B2B. And, you know, he had clients that come to him and to say that, you know, we want something that goes viral. And quite frankly, if you're developing content to your point in B2B, in specialized B2B sectors with the hope that it's going viral, A, I think you're completely missing the point. Mm -hmm. And B, it's wishful thinking because you don't get to decide if your content goes viral, right? And anyone that tells you otherwise says, A, doesn't know what they're talking about, and B, um, yeah, they probably haven't done it before, right? Exactly. <laughs> and and C, most important of all, is that really the objective of the exercise to go viral? And 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 I think the more important question is, well, when you do go viral, then what? Exactly, because most businesses and most people aren't set up to right. even deal with seven million orders. Right. If, if the people even issue. order, even if the people order, because a lot of times these campaigns will go viral, yeah. but that doesn't improve any brand recognition and people odds are it went viral. So your site, your link isn't attached to it. So there's no way even to get back to you. Someone's going to be like, oh, look at this goofy ad. I saw it. And that's about it. Right. Right. And then it extends into this. I call it the realm of like factors that are outside of your control. Like uh -huh. as you said, like then it becomes an order and fulfillment challenge. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Fantastic. Well, Michelle, this has been such a great conversation and, you know, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your expertise and experience with the listeners. And maybe there are a, a few like aspiring data scientists out there. And if there are, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. So again, I'm not really on the socials. We already talked about this, but LinkedIn, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Michelle A. Bassett, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, A. Bassett, B-A-S-S-E-T-T. -T. Um, or you can email me at uh, Michelle at Nugen, N-E-W-G-E-N dot digital, D-I-G-I-T-A-L. Um, and so I will get back to you as soon as I can on LinkedIn. But if you email me, I probably I'll probably get back to you like the same day or like the next day, depending on when you email me. And I'm always happy to answer questions or to make fun of finance people because that's what I do. So uh, yeah, just reach out. Fantastic, fantastic. And final question: uh, you're you're not related in any ways to Angela Bassett, are you? No, probably not. I don't know. Just distant <laughs> relative, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I, I did see a picture of her once, and I was like. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> possible, possible. I, I was feeling myself entirely too much that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, fantastic. Michelle, once again, thanks for your time. Take care, stay safe, and talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay, bye for now. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. To learn more about what we do here at Einblick, please visit our website at www.einblick.co and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player.